1 Timothy, we are in a series called The Good Fight. The Good Fight. You know, somebody said, hey, Christians are supposed to be peacemakers. Didn't Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers? Yes, he did. But he also, through the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, he told Timothy, Timothy, there are times when you are leading uh, churches and there are false teachers that come into the churches. There are times when you're going to have to fight, when it's going to be a struggle, when you're going to have opposition and you are to fight like a believer, fight like a Christian, fight the good fight of faith. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, Timothy, you need to fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Fight the good fight of faith. Will you pray with me a moment? Heavenly Father, uh, we pray for the service right now. We pray for the message and our time together. God, we, are, we made uh, a committed time to be here to gather together because we want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in our understanding of who you are and how you're at work during the world and what our role is as followers of Jesus in this world. So, Lord, make this time special and fruitful through your Holy Spirit. Uh, speak to each one of us and open up our eyes and ears and hearts to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we were talking about uh, Paul saying that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And, and he said, and I'm the worst one of them. Right? So we talked about notorious sinners in the 20th and 21st century. We talked about Ted Bundy and we talked about the Apostle Paul. But the point is... That, that the reason Jesus came, as John says in his gospel, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. God sent Jesus into the world that the world would be saved through him. So Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, and I'm the first one in line that says I'm a sinner in need of a savior. When I was a young Christian, um, this was back in the early, you know, 19, and it was during that time when I was learning how to follow Christ and, and all the disciplines, what they call the spiritual disciplines. I had no problem reading the Bible. I was a pretty good reader anyway for being a guy, if you know, that, if you know what that's all about. And for, most men don't read a, a whole lot. Lyle, you're an example to us all. Keep reading even if you're listening while you read because that's how we stay sharp. Uh, we need to read the scriptures. We, and th in fact, thank you, Amy, because when we get to 1 Timothy 4 later this summer, it says, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. I think, I think there's times, I'm just going to go on a sidebar right here and say there's, there are too many times in church where the speaker is trying to make a slick presentation and come out with these pithy phrases and these great stories, and every once in a while they get around to reading a scripture. Have you been in churches like that? Have you heard messages like that? And, and, and Paul is telling Timothy, don't neglect the reading of Scripture because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as the divisions of both soul and spirit of joints and marrow. God's Word penetrates right into our hearts and speaks to it. And God's word says, like heaven, like the rain comes down from heaven, God's word is not going to return void. So when you hear the word of God, now the seed, it, now it's up to you. Is the seed of the word of God, is it going to land on good soil? Is your heart going to be open to receive what the word says to you today? So as I was a, a Christian learning the spiritual disciplines, one of the ways I learned how to pray was they had this acrostic. And it was the acrostic that patterned the book in the Bible that talks about the early history of the church. 
fact, it happens to be the book of the Bible where the day of Pentecost is mentioned in chapter 2. It's the book of Acts. Not A-A-X-E, not the body spray. This is A-C-T-S, right? Acts, A-C-T-S. And the acrostic for learning how to pray was this. First, you begin with the A, adoration. We learn how to worship God in prayer, saying, God, you're God and I'm not. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So adoration was the first part of prayer. The second part of prayer, the C of Acts. So you have adoration and then you have confession. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Then the third part of the, of the prayer time that we're to have in our time of prayer with God is T. And T is for thanksgiving, right? To pray and say, thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, God, for all your blessings. Thank you, God, for keeping me out of trouble. Thank you, God, for shutting my mouth when I really wanted to open it and say something I'd regret, you know? Thank you for all the times where I could have ended up in a disaster and you, by your providence, you kept me out of disaster. So thanksgiving is a big part of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And then the last one, it's kind of a big word, supplication. They couldn't just come out with requests because it wouldn't fit the acrostic. You ever notice sometimes words get shoved into an acrostic just to fit the acrostic? So supplication. Supplication is just a fancy word of saying, God, I have a need and I need you to meet the need. God, please help. Please help. Supplication would have been a fancy term for Peter as he's walking on the water, following Jesus in the storm, and he looks away from Jesus and he sees the winds and the waves and he starts to sink and he says, Lord, help me. That would be a great example of supplication. So A-C-T-S. And that's what we need to learn how to pray. To pray, and now God, through the Apostle Paul, he's going to tell Timothy, he says, Timothy, you need, as part of your church gathering of your assembly of God's people, you need to have prayer as a big part of that, gathering together. So we begin in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We're going to go all the way to chapter 10, and then we're putting on the brakes because I'm devoting uh, a whole message in the next two weeks on June 23rd, two weeks from now, put it on your calendar. A lot of you won't want to miss it because it's sure to be controversial. And the, the, the title of the message is called A Woman's Place in the Church. A Woman's Place in the Church. If you read 1 Timothy 2, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says these words. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf. You know, talk about being a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan is somebody that does something for somebody else. You know, Jesus says, go and do likewise. He didn't just say, go and think and ponder and maybe even memorize what I've just told you. You know, you know that's good, but going and doing, showing mercy, showing compassion on somebody who's outside the boundaries of who you think God's people are, that is a great way to show compassion and mercy. And one of the ways that we demonstrate compassion and mercy and show that we really love and care about other people are when we're willing to pray for them. I think intercession is one of the most godly acts or godly activities that you can do when you're praying for somebody else. You're praying for God to help them, praying for God to heal them, praying for God to bless them, other people other than yourself. It's not, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of spiritual maturity to say, God, I have a need and I need you to help me. Please help me. A little kid, a two-year-old can do that. 
But when you say, I'm thinking outside of myself and I'm thinking of other people and I want to pray for them and I want to see God work in their lives and bless them, that's spiritual maturity. Do you know that's what Jesus, by the way, that's what Jesus is doing for us even now? In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for us. So if you want to be like Jesus, one of the greatest things you can do is intercede. Pray for somebody else. Pray on behalf of somebody else, right? That to pray for all people, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way. And now, now Paul uh, shifts it away from just people around them that they know in the church. And he says, now, how about, how about the government that is over you? How about the rulers and the authorities that have power, that have authority over our lives as citizens in the country where we live. Paul says this, pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Those of you who are with us about a month ago on Thursday, May 2nd, we had a, we had a prayer meeting right here, a night of prayer and worship to, to honor the national day of prayer. And we prayed for kings and for all those who are in authority. Um, there was a surprise visit, by the way. This was last week, so this is like hot off the press, seven days old. Uh, there was a pastor in Virginia. His name is David Platt, and he's preaching in his church. And he got a surprise visit from a dignitary. And uh, I want to show you what happened in that church gathering, in that prayer meeting, and what Pastor David Platt did when somebody showed up during the church service. To do what First Timothy chapter 2 says to do. Many of you may have seen that there was a call to, to particularly on this Sunday pray for our president. We don't want to do that just on this Sunday. We want to do that continually day in and day out. So I want to ask us to bow our heads together now and pray for our president. Well, God, we praise you as the one universal king over all. You are our leader and our Lord, and we worship you. There is one God and one Savior, and it's you, and your name is Jesus, and we exalt you, Jesus. And we know we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your help. We need your wisdom in our country. And so we stand right now on behalf of our president, and we pray for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom upon him. God, we pray that he would know how much you love him, so much that you sent Jesus to die for his sins, our sins. So we pray that he would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice and good for righteousness and good for equity, every good path. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would give him all the grace he needs 
to govern in ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. God, we pray for your blessing in that way upon his family. We pray that you give them strength. We pray that you give them clarity, wisdom, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Please, oh God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress. We pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders at national and state levels. Please, oh God, help us to look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and live in ways that reflect your love and your grace your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can, I can hardly imagine being a pastor in a church where somebody walks on stage and it's the president of our country. And, uh, and, and it happened to be right in a time when he's teaching on 1 Timothy 2 about praying for kings and for all those who are in authority. And by the way, in, whatever you feel uh, about the current administration, um, Paul told Timothy to pray for kings and all those who are in authority. And guess who was running the world at that time in the Roman Empire? There was an emperor named Nero. And you need to look him up if you don't know who Nero is, because he was not a good man, and he was no friend of Christians. Nero was the guy in the year 64 that when he lit a fire and part of much of Rome burnt to the ground, and Rome was really ticked off at him, he looked for a scapegoat, and he found the Christians, and he made the Christians a scapegoat for burning Rome to the ground. And so he would, well, I'm not even going to tell you what he did, but he did some terrible things to Christians in, in persecution. But if Paul said, if you can say, I want you to pray for Nero, the emperor, and for all those who are in authority, we can definitely pray for whoever is leading our government, whoever that is. So I want to press pause on the worship service now, and I want to invite you to bow your heads for a word of prayer. And I want to, I want to pray. I want to pray together as a congregation for those who are in national leadership in our country. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's no earthly ruler that is equal to you or above you. Every one of us is mortal, and you are eternal. Every one of us has limitations, and you don't have any. Every one of us is limited in our knowledge, and you know all things. So, God, we need to look to you for guidance and and direction in our lives. Lord, we, we do pray for our president and our vice president. God, we pray for the whole cabinet, the secretary of state and the defense minister and the, all the cabinet. Lord, we pray for all the intelligence services. We pray for all the uh, federal law enforcement uh, administration. God, we lift up members of Congress, the members of the House of the Representatives, 435 of them, Father, we lift up the, the Senate to you, all 100 of them. We ask you for uh, that they would remember that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, we ask that uh, they would be filled with wisdom, with integrity, 
with unity of purpose. God, give them humble hearts. As your word says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Lord, would they all humble themselves before you, realize that you are God and they are not, and they need your direction. They need your power through your Holy Spirit to govern wisely and to, and to make the right choices. What is good? What is just for our country? What is good for the rest of the world because of the influence that we have here as the United States of America? Lord, give them all the ability to speak the truth in love. Lord, we also lift up the Supreme Court. Lord, they make decisions that, have, that actually affect our lives every day. So, Lord, we pray for wisdom in the decisions that they are making. God, help them to do what is just and right and fair. And, Lord, thank you for a time that we can stop and even ask you, Lord, on behalf of our nation, Lord. You say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So, Lord, whether those men and women who are governing our country, whether they know you personally or not, Lord, we lift them up to you and we say that, that or we, we ask that you would bring uh, the word of the good news of Christ to them. And we pray, God, that if they are outside your family, Lord, that they would cross over the line of faith. They would turn away from their sin, just like those Jews did on the day of Pentecost. They turned away from their sin. They embraced Jesus as Lord, and their lives were changed forever. Lord, for the good of our nation, for the future of the world, we ask you to do this. And Father, we look to you for answers on how they're going to govern. God, give them a, a, a wisdom that comes from above and give them the courage to do what is right and to speak the truth. But Lord, let them speak with dignity and with love and with grace and with tact. Um, Lord, let no more harsh words come out of those mouths. God, help them to do that. Lord, that's a big ask. But we ask you to do it because you're God and you can do all things. In Jesus' name, we lift these prayers to you. And all God's people agreed together and said, amen. Amen. Now, why uh, that request and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving, why are we asking that for kings and for all those in, who are in authority? And it says, this is good. Now, we, we jump down to verse 3 and 4, and it says, this is good, Paul says to Timothy. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. As God blesses our nation, it blesses, blesses our nation's leaders, more of these prayers, I believe, will be answered because God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Now that you know what God's heart is, you can pray toward that end. I got, God uh, wants everybody in his family. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everyone to understand the truth of who Jesus really is. He doesn't want anyone left out. He wants to include all of them by faith. Saved by grace through faith. And, and Paul reiterates this, and he says, just to remind you, for everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the, of the truth, they're going to have to understand and believe this truth in verse 5. For there is one God, in verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. One God one mediator between 
God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You know, friends, this is basic. This is fundamental Christian theology right here that Paul is proclaiming. There is only one God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. God is eternal. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God is holy. He's righteous. And God is a just God. He's a fair judge. He's morally perfect. And because God is love, because he loves us more than he has to, his, his nature has to punish us for our sins, God's love trumps his punishment, so to speak, in the sense that he sent us Jesus to be our savior. He sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin, to abolish that divide that was between us and a holy God. And he sent Jesus to be the mediator between us and God. Jesus Christ who is the righteous one. It's not, you know, a mediator is somebody who goes between two parties. Two parties are at odds with each other and the mediator comes in and says, hey, can't we make peace together? And God sent Jesus to be the mediator. He's the one who's our defense lawyer, a defense attorney, our advocate before the father who says, father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them because I gave my life on the cross for them. Father, they're in our family now because they put their faith and trust in me. And because Jesus is the mediator, God says they're in, they're part of the family. And Paul goes on and, and, and he says, there's only one who can go to the Father on your behalf. And I, and I just wanna say this in all love and, and I hope I don't step on too many toes, but I'll, I'll say this. When, when Paul says there's one God and one mediator, this is what he's saying. He says, an angel... I don't care how high the angel is. An angel is not going to be the mediator between you and God. A saint, no matter how holy, beautiful, sacrificial a life that human being lived, there's no human saint that can be the mediator between you and a holy God. There's no mother of Jesus that can be the mediator between you and a holy God because Mary didn't die on the cross for your sins. Only Jesus did. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the one who reconciles us to holy God. And this is what Paul said. In fact, that's Jesus, I'll quote from his own words. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our mediator. We go to God only through him. So Paul continues in verse six, and he says, this is the message. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. And Paul says, I'm not exaggerating. I'm telling the truth. Paul is looking at his own life now and says, man, how privileged I am, how honored by God I am to be chosen to be the one to be the spokesman to be Christ's apostle to all the non-Jewish people out there in the world, all the Gentiles. He's living right in the middle. Paul's living in the middle of the first generation of Christians He's that, that are immediately following the historical events of Jesus' death in Jerusalem and burial in that tomb that was borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea and the resurrection that happened that first Easter Sunday on April 21, which, by the way, is about 50 days ago. That's why today's celebrated as the day of Pentecost meaning 50, and Paul says, those historical events, I get to be a part of them, even though I wasn't one of the original 
followers. I wasn't one of the original 12 disciples chosen by Jesus. I was sort of chosen out of time. Paul says, hey, I came a bit late into this Christian game, but I'm making up for lost time. And did Paul not make up for lost time? Paul says this now. Now he's going to talk about in your prayer meetings. He talked about what to pray for, and now he wants to talk about what is your attitude to be when you pray together. When you gather together as a local congregation, what's your attitude to be like? First, he's going to talk to the males, and then he's going to talk to the females. Verse 8, he says, in every place of worship, I want men, which is meaning males, it doesn't mean mankind, it means, he's talking about to the, to, the, to the males of the church. I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. You can see Paul's Jewish background when he says these words, because he says, I want men to pray together with holy hands lifted up to God. By the way, the Christian 21st century way to, way to pray, is, and didn't I just do it? I said, will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? And I do this. In fact, I think the lower I lower my head, the more I'm into prayer, right? It, uh, this is a good posture of prayer. Oh, this is an even better. Oh, this is an even lower. Because you're humbling yourself before God. The Jewish way of praying was not eyes closed, head bowed. The Jewish way of praying is eyes open, looking up to heaven where God is, hands open saying nothing. I don't have anything in my hands. I don't have anything impeding. I'm, I'm in a posture of humility before God. And that's the way the Jewish people prayed. So that's the way Paul says, when you lift up your hands to God, this is the way you pray. But your attitude, man, says, I want men to pray free from anger, free from controversy, right? He doesn't, he, he wants, before you even get to the public prayers, he says, men, I want you to confess your sin before God. I want you to say, create in me a clean heart, O God, Renew a right spirit in me. Confess your sins. Get God's forgiveness. If you confess your sins, God says, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness when we confess our sins to God. When we agree with God that what we did or said was wrong and that, God, that we're asking God to forgive us and to cleanse us. So they're holding their palms upward. They're, they're to be holy hands. Men, when we pray together in church, we're to be spiritually clean before God. And something else, too, to be free from anger and controversy. You know, the prophet Amos is, is uh, meeting out judgment. I mean, the first couple chapters, he pleases the Jewish people, right? Because he comes up and he says, I got a word from the Lord uh, for, the, for God's people today. And they're like, okay, lay it on us. And he says... God's going to judge those people over there, those people over there, the people that are your neighbors over here and here and here and here. God's going to judge all those people. And God, God's people said, hallelujah, lay it out on them, Lord, judge them, you know, take care of them. And then finally, Amos turns his prophetic guns towards God's people and says, and God has a word for you too. But when the prophet is talking and he's saying, uh, when it comes to agreeing with God, walking with God, the, the, the prophet Amos says this in chapter 3 and verse 3. He says, he says, can two people walk along the road together unless they're in agreement? Can two people walk together unless they are agreeing on the direction that they're going? If guys have an anger problem in church, if there's controversy, if there's not unity in the church, you know, we are to pray for the unity of the church. 
God tells us in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are to be unifiers. We are to be peacemakers in God's congregation, right? So that when we come together to pray, we're not going to have this problem between us of anger or, or controversy or unforgiveness or disunity. So men are to have that posture when they're coming together. Um, and by the way, back, going back to what we're to pray about, when, when he says prayers and requests and intercession and thanksgiving, when you are, by, by the way, it's, it's really hard to be angry and unforgiving towards somebody if you're praying for them, right? So one of the, one of the good things that comes out of interceding, of praying for other people is just saying, God, bless them. I hope you don't pray in your prayers, God, curse them. That's not really a Christian prayer, by the way. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Gee, how would I like somebody to pray for me? <laughs> you know, wouldn't you like somebody to bless you rather than curse you? So if you're going to be able to bless somebody, it's pretty hard to be mad at them. It's pretty hard to be unforgiving toward them. It's pretty hard to be bitter and resentful for them. So praying, learning to pray for somebody in intercession is a great way to, to grow up spiritually because you have to forgive them if you're going to be able to pray for them in the right way. So there's, there's the, the attitude of the men to have in the church, and now we go to the women, and he doesn't talk about having anger or controversy among the women. He's basically saying, uh, women, uh, when you come together to pray together, when you come together to worship in God's house in the church, be careful of what you're wearing. Uh, he, which is like, okay, that's what you say, Paul. It doesn't sound very spiritual, but uh, these are the words of, of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit for, the, for all the women in the church. And he says, I want women, when you come together in the church to pray, he says, I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair. The, only, the last time I saw this enforced, was there was a 20-something woman, and she was coming to be on the worship team at our church. And she, I, I don't know, I think she was wearing a tank top that was really tight and some, some tight pants or something like that. And, and she was there, and being a 20-something, I, I would guess she probably didn't even think about what she was projecting by what she was wearing. But what happened was uh, the very first service happened, and... Uh, there was a little muttering um, in the congregation, and in the next service, I noticed that she was wearing a sweater over her tank top, because by what she was wearing, she was distracting. I'll, let, this is, I'll put it in a nice way. She was distracting the men in the congregation by what she was wearing, and that's something we don't want to do. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves in the wrong way. We want to draw attention to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing, not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Um, even in that culture, the prostitutes would braid their hair and, and weave gold in and out of their hair and wear expensive jewelry and things like that. And, and so you don't want to give the impression that you're anything but a godly woman. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. In fact, the best, the most attractive women in the church are the ones that are full of godliness and good works and gracious words. And that lasts, that's something that lasts a lot longer than outward beauty. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, so we've had, a, we've had this, this deal about praying, about intercession, about praying for kings and those in authority, having the right attitude. Why are we praying together? We're praying together because God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So let's just wrap it up now. I think I have one more slide that has like a summary of what we're to do in the church. Can you advance that? What does a God-honoring church do? Very good. Number one, a God-honoring church, a faithful church prays and intercedes regularly. And I wanted to do that together. You know, you guys realize so many times you get together in church, this is what we should be doing in God's church. And everybody says yes and amen. And then we don't do it, right? So we need to stop and actually do what God wants us to do. So there's number one. Number two, a faithful church proclaims one God and one mediator, and that's Jesus. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. There is one way, and his name is Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the one mediator between God and man who can forgive us of our sins because he already paid the price when he died on the cross, and that is Jesus. So that's what a faithful church proclaims. And then number three, a faithful church worships in holiness and in modest propriety. Do you guys, is that, is that sound like a good church to you? Would you want to be a part of a church that does all this? Church that prays, intercedes regularly for kings and authority to bless our community so that they're glad that, they're, that we're here, so that they know that we're a blessing to the community. A, a church that proclaims one God and mediator, Jesus, and a church that worships in holiness and in modest propriety. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of, and I hope you do too. John, I'm going to invite you and April and, and Tracy and the worship team to come on up and get ready for our closing song because the result of an attitude of intercession, the, what God wants to see when we pray for those who are in authority, when we pray for leaders in our community, when we pray for the blessing of our community, is he, wants, is he is very pleased by that. God loves it when we care for our community. I don't know if you've ever responded to that invitation yet where it says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Do you, do you realize that Jesus is your mediator? Do you realize that Jesus is your go-between, between you and a holy God, between you who's in need of forgiveness, the number one need of most human beings who are not in Christ? The number one need is forgiveness. They need to be reconciled to God, and that can't happen without forgiveness, and that forgiveness can't happen without the sacrificial substitute death of Jesus being applied in righteousness to you. You get a righteousness applied to your life that is by faith. And I don't know if you've ever responded to God in that way. I don't know if you've ever turned your heart toward Jesus and said, Lord, please forgive me. I want you to be my savior and I want to follow you. But we're going to take a moment and pray just now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you came into the world and you came into the world to do a number of things, but the number one thing, you didn't come to the world to condemn the world. Lord, you came into the world to save sinners. And Lord, I'm one of those sinners. Lord, I recognize I've done a lot of things in my life that I wish I could take back or regret, but I can't. And those sins deserve to be punished. But Jesus, I believe that you gave your life on the cross to pay the payment forever for all those wrong things that I've said and done. And so Lord, I'm I am receiving you into my life today. I am saying yes to becoming your follower. 
Would you be my forgiver? Would you be the leader of my life? Lord, would you show me from today forward how you want me to live, the way that you want me to change, the way you want me to become more like you in the days ahead? Lord Jesus, I love you because you gave your life for me, and I want to give my life to live the rest of my life for you. So please do that, and I rejoice in in your forgiveness. I rejoice that I've crossed over now from death to life. I'm in your family, and Lord, I, I, I just thank you for that, and I love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.